Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Going to be pretty close to the same passage of scripture we were at last week, <clears throat> but with a completely different perspective or a shift on um, <clears throat> basically the theme of the message. So if you would get your Bibles, open up the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 15. This is set just a little bit before what we talked about last week. If you remember last week, by the way, the thing I did with the kids here a while back, how many of you guys remember what the sermon was on last week? I'm going to embarrass every one of you. No. <laughs> um, it was basically the compassion of Jesus Christ, the, com- the compassion that he had towards people and how we're supposed to be individuals who actually mimic that compassion. Uh, but I can say that we're also individuals who are supposed to be uh, very driven and motivated by a relationship that is a genuine relationship in Jesus Christ. We had a discussion a couple of Sunday nights ago about um, the reality of the fact that there are a lot of people who've spent an entire lifetime in church who are lost as a goose in a snowstorm. Um, just a fact. I've known three deacons in my lifetime more than 20, the youngest one was 25 years a deacon. Three of them got saved. Deacons. I know of pastors who had been pastors for more than 20 years got saved. You say, well, how in the world did they become deacons and pastors? Well, it's because we've learned as a society how to become individuals who act like Christians, but have no relationship with God. There is a very distinct difference between someone who says that they're a Christian and someone who is a Christian. Reminded of the passage of scripture where the men were, were healing, uh, were healing and, um, casting out demons in Jesus' name. And what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. And the word knew is an important word. In the Bible, the word knew is talking about an intimate relationship. It was Jesus saying, get behind me, you do of iniquity, for I never had a relationship with you. So Christians in today's culture have learned how to act like Christians without actually being Christians. They're individuals. I mean, how many of you guys know good people? I know some good people. I know some good people who aren't believers, right? I know some people who are believers who are not such good people. Um, how do you sort these out? Well, Jesus Christ himself said you will know them by their fruits. Someone who claims to be a Christian is going to not only act like a, rela- act like a Christian, but is going to have a relationship with God. Um, individuals who talk about God all the time, because they talk about God doesn't mean that they have a relationship with God. And we find ourselves again with a religious political group in Jerusalem of the day, the Pharisees, who were individuals who certainly walked around and acted like they knew God, Right? They walked around and said things like they knew God, right? And how many people in Jerusalem did they have convinced that they knew God? Most of Jerusalem was convinced that they knew God. So much so that the Pharisees were able to put large burdens on people. It was They would come and tell people, even though God didn't say it, 
they would take one part of the law and blow it up into whatever it was that they wanted it to be. And then they would force people to follow that through. We know how many times Jesus was in in trouble. He was in trouble for healing a blind man on the Sabbath. He was in trouble for healing a lame man on the Sabbath. He was in trouble for allowing his disciples to pick heads of grain and eat it on the Sabbath. Because they said picking heads of grain was work. They literally went so far as to say, Jesus healed this dude. He picks up his mat, walks away with it, and they go, he's carrying his mat. That's working. So they took what God said, and they gave themselves power and authority by expounding on it. We don't know anybody in this modern day that takes God's word and expounds on it, do we? I tell you what, folks, when I became the pastor here, I, I, I rattled some cages. Because I do not believe in church doctrine. Church sat down several years ago and wanted to wanted us to come up with a uh, with a uh, church covenant. You know what church covenant is? It's church doctrine. Um, some of the smaller groups have heard me say these things before, and, and I'll tell you exactly what I, I was sitting at the convention one year, and somebody put out a resolution that said, "As God says in His Word, don't drink." You think I could vote for that resolution? Nope. You know why? God didn't say it. Now, he says plenty of things about it. He says don't drink into drunkenness, right? He says that we're not supposed to be individuals who overindulge in those things. We're not supposed to be people who lean on those things to solve our problems. We're not supposed to be people who allow ourselves to be addicted to those things. But nowhere in the scripture, except for in one case, does he say don't drink. And that applies to me. Deacons, not given to much wine. Pastors, not given to wine. What's the difference between those two things? Much and not. That's the difference between those two things. Let me ask you something. How popular do you think it is in Southern Baptist circles to be someone who says God didn't say don't drink? Something that drove me nuts for years, especially as a young man. Now, I know that we had churches, uh, we had, and I think that at one point they had them here. They had sweetheart dances. All of a sudden, we stopped having sweetheart dances, though. Why? Well, I mean... Can somebody show me in the Bible where it says don't dance? Is it in there? So when we say, when we say God didn't say anywhere in 66 books of the Bible not to dance, but we know better and we're going to expand what God intended and we're going to say don't dance, how are we any different than the Pharisees? How are we any different? Because here's the deal. Do I want to be technically a representative of God? Or should a Christian want to be a very specific representative of God? Because I'll back up for a second and tell you something. My advice to people is don't drink. It's my advice. Not because God didn't tell you uh, not to drink. But because why play with fire water? Why get involved in something that it's so easy to cross the line on? 
It's good advice. Do I think that it's intelligent for me to dance with another man's wife? Nope. What's wrong with me dancing with my daughter? And I'll tell you how deeply ingrained in this is. I've been Southern Baptist my whole life. Ever since I can remember going to church, I've been to Southern Baptist churches. Been in a few other denomination churches for services for my whole life. I have been in a Southern Baptist church. My kids threw us, me and Diana, a 25th wedding anniversary here at the church. We were kind of put on the spot. I've danced with her many times before. But we were put on the spot to dance out in the yard of the church. Even though I knew there was absolutely nothing wrong with that, I felt pressure. Should I? Should I feel pressure when I dance with my wife? Nope. I mean, if we're going to be honest about this, I am, if I was a betting man, I would be willing to bet that more people would have a problem with me dancing like David. And that was a biblical representation. David danced in his underwear. Not only did God not have a problem with that, but David's wife complained because of the way it made her look, and what was her penalty? She got in trouble for complaining about it. Why? It wasn't because David was dancing in his underwear. The Lord didn't get a kick out of that. The Lord got a kick out of the fact that David was so happy that the Ark of the Covenant was coming back home. He was so happy that God was being glorified that he became completely undignified. But you know about us Baptists? You ever read the, read the Ten Commandments of the Baptists? I'll have to publish those sometime and let you see them. But I think thou shalt not dance is around number three. We call ourselves Christians. But we aren't really willing to discard the rules that man sets in place and exalt the things that God sets in place. And until we become people who are more moved by the things that God says than we are by the things that he didn't, we will never get it right. We will never get it right. It's that important. There's a lot of them, folks. Uh, Southern Baptist circles. Divorced men, can they be ordained? Can a divorced man be a deacon? In Southern Baptist tradition, can a divorced man be a deacon? Can a divorced man be a preacher? Where does the Bible teach that at? And here's what I hear people say. Well, the Bible says you must be the husband of one wife. You know what else the Bible says? That a preacher is not to be a brawler. And guess what I was when I was younger? Why do I get grace for being a brawler, but someone who was divorced years ago don't get any grace for it? As a matter of fact, that standard rules that out as what that means. Tell you what I believe, biblically reinforced. I'll tell you what I believe that husband of one wife means. One woman, man. Their eyes don't wander, they don't flirt with other women. They don't chase other women. They're in a relationship with their wife. Their attention is on their relationship with their wife, and their attention is not on any other woman. That's what it means. Any of you ever meet Bob Winter? I've had him fill the pulpit for him for me a bunch. Bob Winter. I mean, 
all the way up into his 80s, that man was a fireball. Bald-headed. I don't think he ever bought a new Bible since 1945. He always had one of those sheepskin covers that you could just take the Bible and stick it in. And that's all I ever seen him. Cover fell off of his Bible. He just took the pages and shoved it in that sheepskin cover. Fireball. Most godly man that I believe I've ever met. He'd be in the top three. A guy who prayed like he knew who God was, that he knew that God could move if he chose to. He'd come in the office when I worked at the association, and you could see in my office when you come in the front door, and he would beeline into my office, throw that that beanie hat down on the desk, get down on one knee, 80 years old, get down on one knee, grab me by the hand and say, I'm going to pray with you. And, man, you better be ready because about 20 minutes worth, and I'm telling you, it was exhausting. Need a nap after Bob Winter prayed with you. You know, he never did get to be a pastor again. He was divorced. Somewhere back in the 1940s, he was divorced. Do you know how many blessings churches missed out on by that man not being allowed to be a pastor? I'm going to grant you, there's downsides to it. How, do, how does a couple come and get marriage counseling from a divorced pastor? It's a downfall. It's a struggle. It's a struggle just because of the perception of other people. But folks, it's not about what we say as a church. It's about what God says. Did you know that even in the Bible, divorce isn't the issue? Try me. Research it. All you want to. I have. Divorce isn't the issue. If you wanted to be legalistic and say, we're going to follow the rules and discard grace, if we're going to take grace out of the picture and we're going to just look at what God said and look at it like the Ten Commandments as if it's a rule that anybody's broken, you can never find any grace in it, the problem is with remarriage and not with divorce. The problem's with remarriage and not with divorce. But in that case, I stand here and tell you that grace reigns. Grace reigns. Because to say that somebody was divorced years ago cannot find their way closer to God and fulfill any calling in their life is the same thing as saying, once a brawler, always a brawler. If any one of us that sat in this place had anything at the age of 16 that could be held against us and was still held to us to this day, how many of us would be trusted with anything? Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. Moms and dads, does that encourage you that God appreciates you so much that he thinks that no child of yours should ever be disrespectful to you? I mean, that's harsh. This is probably why people had a lot of kids, because it took at least one to teach a lesson that they wouldn't forget. And I guarantee you the rest of them were in line. Verse 5. But you say, 
Whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your traditions. Before we go any further, I want to give you in a nutshell what he's saying here. The Pharisees, they were the ones who said, even though God's word said that reverence, awe, respect was supposed to be given to parents. It was supposed to be shown to parents. The Pharisees would turn around and say, I'll show respect to you, but I'm going to show it respect to you because I'm really showing respect to God. What does that do? Is that respecting your parents? If you're respecting your parents because God told you to, is that really respecting your parents? No. This is a place where God took second seat. He said, children, your parents deserve glory for their responsibility with you. They deserve to be honored because of the responsibility that they've shown towards you. God's saying, I will take second seat here. Parents are to be honored by their children, not because they're honoring me, but because they are worthy of honor in and of themselves. So because God said parents are worthy of honor, and because the Pharisees said, we're going to give our parents honor because I'm giving it to God, what have they done to the word of God? They've replaced it with their own ideal. They've replaced it with their own rule. They've claimed the authority to take what God said and to alter it. People say, well, God's word's been altered a lot. I mean, look at all the translations. Study to show yourself approved. Because people are always fighting and arguing over what translation of the Bible's best. You ready for it? I'll tell you which one's best. You ready for it? Hebrew and Greek. That's the best translation. Anybody in here read it? Anything translated in any language, period, loses meaning in the translation. It loses it. It doesn't mean it's not God's word anymore, but it does mean if you really want to know what it means, you've got to study it. God doesn't hide these things from us. His word is clear. His word is foundational. His word should be what motivates every one of us. And if there's one place that it's always bugged me about the Southern Baptist, they would quickly take a rule that was created by a church or a denomination and gladly replace it with God's word. That's not only wrong, folks. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. What's the difference between somebody altering God's word for the seeming possibility of making it better and someone altering God's word to justify sin? What's the difference? I had people all the time, well, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of caution. If you were walking a tight wire 
And it was a thousand foot drop on the left and a thousand foot drop on the right. Which side would you rather fall off of? Because the, the word of God is a tight wire. And, and do you ever see somebody walk one? How hard is it to stay on that wire? I've used the analogy many times that being Christians, we're imperfect people. When you get home today, take a marble, sit it in the center of a glass plate. Keep the marble in the center of the glass plate. What do you have to do to keep the marble in the center of the glass plate? You either have to live a very, you have to have some very steady hands. You either have to have some very steady hands, or you have to constantly adjust to get the marble back to the to the middle of the plate. You know what the constant adjustment is? It's called conviction. It's called sanctification. It's the changes and alterations that happened in our life based on God's word that keeps us on the mark. No, it's not a good thing to be more conservative than God wants us to be. No, it's not a good thing to be less conservative than God wants us to be. Because if you go too far one side, you end up being like a church that I'm told I mentioned too much. Westboro. And if you go too far the other side, you end up being these crazy nutty churches that think that God's word means nothing. Verse 7 says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In vain they worship me. You know what that means? When we do something in vain... It's not only that we're not really doing it, but we're doing actually the opposite of it. It's a play. It's a game. It's us appearing to be something that we're not. Do you think that every person who walks into a sanctuary on Sunday morning and sings songs at the beginning of the service is worshiping God? No. Because do we worship God with our lips? No. We worship God with our hearts. Our lips can say all of the right things, but if our heart's not in the right place, what we say is absolutely useless. It's a fact. You've heard me say, Lord, don't want your money, want your heart. You get your heart, you get your money. The Lord don't want your time, he wants your heart. If you get your heart, he's going to get your time. The Lord doesn't want your talents. He wants your heart. You get your heart, you get your talents. And even in my lifetime, I've prayed prayers and said, Lord, please help me control my mouth. When the truth is, all along I should have been saying, Lord, please help me control my heart. Remember the sermon last week now? 
Jonah? He didn't have a fish problem. He had a heart problem. After he called the multitude to him, verse 10, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. You know what else Jesus said? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your heart's bitter, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? If your heart's rotten, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? If your heart's pure, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Because, folks, I have people come to me all the time and they say, I'd like to be a deacon. I'd like to be a Sunday school teacher. But with my own ears, I hear these people use foul language. Let me ask you something. If I hear somebody using foul language and they come to me and say, can I be a Sunday school teacher, what would you expect me as a church to tell them? Should I sign them up? Because you see someone who can't control their mouth, the mouth's not the problem. The problem is they can't control their heart. If we're going to be people who are going to trust in Jesus, then we have to trust in Jesus for who he is, not who we want to make him out to be. If we're going to desire to live out his word, then we have to put forth an effort to live out his word. Not more, not less. Because the truth is, folks, this world is full of Christians who are following their heads. Full of people who are following their heads. And I believe it's astounding the number of people who are going to hell by 18 inches. The distance from here to here. Just because we say we're a Christian doesn't make us a Christian any more than saying we're a car makes us a car. Christians are Christians because they care about what God thinks. Christians are Christians because they want to do what God wants them to do. Christians are Christians because we desire to be nothing but like him. And that is in word, thought, and deed. And that is as a result of Jesus Christ getting control, not of this, not of this, not of these, not of those, but of this. None of us are perfect at that. We all still have, how many of you guys have buttons? 
You have buttons. You ever met those people in your life that knew how to push them? See, we all. We're not perfect, folks. But I've told you a hundred times, and I'll tell you a hundred more. A perfect Christian is not a perfect person. A perfect Christian is a repentant person. Somebody who does an awful lot of stuff in ignorance. But as soon as ignorance is replaced by truth, we make the adjustment that God wants us to make. And we make it at his pace. This is what moves us forward in growth. This is what really reaches people for Jesus. This is what really makes things happen in Jesus Christ's church. It's not the good ideas that come from between people's ears. It's not all the hard work that comes from the hands and feet. Every successful ministry that reaches people for Jesus is a ministry that's been sought after with an individual's heart. That heart is Christ's. He died for it. He suffered for it. He lives for it. He deserves it. I think we all have a heart problem. On some level, we all have a heart problem. My encouragement for you today, let God continue to expose those heart problems to you. Seek out his word diligently. Don't take a denomination's word for it. Don't take a church's word for it. If we're going to take anybody's word for it, it better be Jesus' word we're taking for it. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Christ, you've never made a public confession of faith, never follow through in believer's baptism, this is an opportunity for you to do it. You say, well, it's, it's embarrassing, preacher, to walk up in front of everybody. Well, you may, be, you may be right. I can tell you that when I come to know Christ, I certainly wasn't thinking about what everybody around me was thinking. I was pretty much just thinking about what God was thinking. The question... Do you not want to walk the aisle because you're ashamed to? And if that's the case, then what are you ashamed of? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Almost everybody in this place has made that trip. If you're worried about getting sick, hang out after church. Don't let the moment pass. Come within 12 feet of me and say, Hey, preacher, I need to talk to you about that Jesus. I promise you I'll take whatever time is necessary. Like I said before, I'll sit in the front pew, you sit in the back pew, we'll yell back and forth at each other. If the Holy Spirit tugs on your heart, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Believer, all of us are constantly being pushed around by this culture. There are plenty of things going on to dull our hearts. Plenty of things going on to harden our hearts. Plenty of things going on to make our hearts bitter. Just like last Sunday, you got to protect it. And if you've truly trusted in Jesus Christ, you got to listen to it. 
however the Lord may speak to you today, make sure you have his ear. And if he speaks to you, I can ask nothing more, and I don't believe that he would either, than for you to be obedient to him. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.